We're glad you're here with us. I'm going to pray as we get started into the sermon. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that this is a time where we're having to recalculate, change our plans, that we don't know what's going to happen one week to the next. Um, we're starting to see glimmers of hope of what it looks like in the future. And so, God, please help us as a church, as a community, for anyone watching this to find their hope in Jesus Christ. And God, as we look at community today in 1 Thessalonians 5, open our eyes and our ears to what your word says and what we should be as we recalculate. We see all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here to our Sunday morning online service. Today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, which is in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to be continuing a series called Recalculating When Plans Change. What does community look like in the church and outside of it? Do we need to recalculate what it looks like or our plans have changed? Have they, have they changed because of what's going on in the world right now? Because in, in a world of social distancing, what does community look like now? If you have our app, you can click at the top of the feed and you'll find our version event. You can follow along with notes, the scripture passage. Um, you can watch on one device, open it on one device and then pull that up on another device this morning. Today, we're gonna to talk about community. And no, I am not talking about the TV show about community college life that just got back on Netflix. So people are watching it like crazy, but community, those all around us, that's the community I'm talking about because we need each other. Don't we need each other? In a time like this, you start seeing community develop in different ways. One, one of the ways it develops is things like the hashtag on social media, where it says it's hashtag in this together. We're all experiencing varying degrees of loss, but we are hashtag in this together. We're all seeing those affected around us, or maybe we're affected by this, but we're hashtag in this together. What does it mean in the life of a Christian how are we in this together? What is this? What is the this in the in this together? And I, I want to argue it's community. We're in a community together. We're in this together. Well, so what does it look like as the church, as we seek to treat each other well? What does it mean to treat each other well? How should we treat our leaders? How should we worship Jesus as a church? There's an urgency to this. The church at times treats each other poorly, or our leaders are treated worse even at times, and our worship is affected. Today, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that will help us recalculate how we're going to treat each other. Right now is a good time to change that rhythm and the sequence of what's going on in your life or patterns that maybe were unhealthy to being more healthy. So we're going to learn how to treat others, how to treat our leaders, and how to worship Jesus. Many times, the best way to lead someone else to Jesus is just that. They look at how we treat each other, they look at how we treat our leaders, and they look at how we worship Jesus. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.12. As we get started this morning, I want to encourage you that, that this passage, there's, there's so much rich understanding here that we may not be able to cover this morning. So I would encourage you to study this passage as well after the sermon. 
Verse 12 and 13 says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This is the beginning of a section. Paul is writing what family life should look like. Family life. What should family life look like? He addresses the Thessalonians, this people, this this church as brothers four times in this passage before verse 27. This really could be translated brothers and sisters or, or just family. Paul's appealing to them, the family of God, in everything that follows this. So understand that this message is for everyone. We can learn from this passage how we're to treat our leaders, how we're supposed to treat each other, and how we're supposed to worship Jesus. True community respects and esteems leaders. That's very simple, but not very easy. Verse 12 and 13 are clearly addressing leaders and how we as a community of the church should treat our leaders. We are to respect and esteem leaders. You know, the question I'm left with is why? Why? You're listening to a message from a leader in the church, but I wasn't a leader my whole life. And so why should we do this? Because leaders are described three ways. Leaders labor among you. They labor among you. This is a word to describe farming. It's a word for toil. It's not easy. Not everyone sets out to be a farmer because guess what? It's hard work. You know, you wake up before sunrise and you go to sleep after the sun sets. Jesus uses this description in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, when he says, the harvest is plentiful. Listen to that. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to the harvest. Maybe today, the one thing that you do is you pray for more laborers in the harvest of what God's bringing to people, bringing salvation, helping people understand more about Jesus. You pray that maybe you're the laborer or maybe it's someone else, but bring more laborers to the field for the harvest. I, I have friends, I grew up with friends that were farmers and anyone that's been a farmer for an extended period of time knows the harvest is a time where you're almost working 24 hours a day. So these laborers are ones that are just working all the time. And so it's not easy work, yet that same labor is the reason that that laborer, the farmer, is the reason you have food on your table. And so the same goes for leaders in the church, elders, pastors, as they feed you with the word of God. So you have to understand it's a, it's a labor, but it's a labor that we do enjoy. And so the second part of this, the second uh, way leaders are described is that leaders are over you in the Lord. It's not really about control. When I hear that, I think about control and and I want to make it clear that it's about shepherding. It's, it's, it's about Jesus, like a ministry like Jesus, serving those you're responsible for. Because Jesus makes it clear that this is not the type of leadership that is, is supposed to be in the church. These leaders that this is talking about should not be lording it over people. Jesus says in Mark 10, 42 through 45, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, Lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, 
and whoever be first among you be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the calling of a leader. Be who God called you to be, taking care of yourself so you can serve others. The leaders over you are responsible to serve the church. That's their primary responsibility. But then the third description is that leaders admonish. And I had to look up the word admonish because I don't go around saying, I admonish you. You know, that's not something we use in an everyday context. I don't tell my kids, I'm going to admonish you. You know, <laughs> I had a general idea of what it meant. Well, I found out it was stronger than what I thought it was. I think we need to be very careful to understand this. It means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. Leaders are responsible to train Christians how they should act. They're responsible for that. This is like the warning of a parent. One author put it this way. While it's tone, the words tone is brotherly, it's big brotherly. Like, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that because God's called us to something greater. It's not an excuse to be harsh, though. It's, it's a, a concern we have for the other person. So if something is said out of a concern, the tone is not in anger. The tone is in, in, in pleading with someone or, or trying to encourage someone strongly. So I think at this point, one of the hardest things we have to realize is as a, as a leader, it's hard to admonish people because there, there's difficulties with that. And so the church's response to that is important. The church is not to exalt pastors and leaders to this unhealthy position, but it's also not meant to demean them because the call is to respect and esteem them as they labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. So at the end of verse 13, Paul gives us direction on peace towards each other. I think, I think it's important that we don't forget that last little phrase. So often our pride gets in the way of peace. Can we, can we admit that? Often our pride gets in the way of peace and the good news of Jesus brings peace and health in the lives of leaders and churches. And when I say health, I don't mean physical health, I mean spiritual health. And so be at peace among yourselves. Like Paul says there, there's no room for division in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to work together, unified, so that we can see the redemptive power of Jesus all over our community. Paul transitions at this point, and the first thing he does is, guess what, admonishes the people. He's acting like a leader in verse 14. So you can read along with me here in verse 14 and 15, where Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to everyone. I think it's important to know here that this passage has many commands. If we're gonna recalculate right now, this is the place to start. We need to recalculate how we treat each other, how we're treating each other on a daily basis. True community, hear this, true community seeks to do good for everyone, not just some. There's a lot of injustice in our world. This week is, has been filled with different stories of injustice. And, and I think we get lost in that and don't realize that our call as Christians is to do good for everyone. Paul starts by saying, 
He, he, he wants to admonish the idol. It's not about what, what they want that we need to give them, it's what they need. So the idol need something different. And But like a good friend, we need to realize that we can't be afraid of relational consequences, but stand in truth and in love. The word idol is not really the best word here though. When we think of idol, at least what I think of is where you're idle, you're just sitting, you're stagnant, or you're not moving. But this this is not some idle thing. It's, it's basically, it should be translated disorderly or disruptive. The Christians were not idle physically here, but they were idle in their spiritual walk and they were being disruptive to the church. So we're called to help each other get back on track. Now, I know many of you might have had a conversation with a dear friend or a family member where they fell away from the church and Jesus Christ and didn't want to hear anything about it. But that doesn't mean you don't still have that conversation in love. And I think we need to realize that we're not supposed to be harsh here. There's a second group Paul addresses here. And that is the group that we need to encourage. Encourage the faint-hearted. It literally means those discouraged. They're discouraged. Are you discouraged right now? There's an opportunity. We have lots of people that are discouraged with what's happening in our world. Much like in our world right now, the Christians in Thessalonica were anxious about their dear loved ones, about the ones closest to them, about their friends. And they were asking questions, much like, are they saved? They're asking their friends, are you saved? Are they saved? Do they know Jesus in a saving way? Paul reminds us to recalculate our thinking. Where it could be easy to find difficulty and discouragement, we need to be encouraging one another. Think about this. I played, I, I played this game before, and I've used this illustration a few times with my kids and in other situations, but we need to be the difference in a three-legged stool versus a two-legged stool. If you can find me a two-legged stool that stands up, it just doesn't work. But when, when two or more are gathered, when, when Jesus Christ is a part of it, when we have three-legged stool, we need to be that encouragement, that, that third person coming in to encourage our fellow believers. We need to be encouraged by our community. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with admonishing and encouraging, but he says, help the weak. Admonishing is about people living as they should. They, they need to live as they should. They're not living as they should. And encouragement is about those that have been discouraged. Helping is about people that have physical needs. The words after this, we should do all well to listen and change our plans about those we need to admonish, encourage, and help. Paul says here, be patient with them all. I, I sigh because I know that I, I fall into saying things like, I took all this time to serve you and this is what I get. You see that anger and the frustration in that? But Paul says here, be patient with all. I know I've had thoughts like that and I need to repent of those thoughts. I know being patient is not selective, it's for everyone. I don't wanna get your hopes up though because you're gonna be let down. And if anything, you should hear that from your pastor and you should hear that from the word of God that you will be let down. You will be rejected. We will admonish people and they won't turn back to God. We will encourage people and they will continue to choose to be discouraged. 
We will help those with needs and they will reject our help. But in all things, be patient and continue in what God has called the people of, of his people to be. A people that admonish, encourage, and help each other, do good for one another and everyone. It leaves me with many questions as I, as I try to apply the word of God to my own life. Who do I need to admonish? Who do I need to encourage this week? Who are we going to pray over? Who are we going to call? Who are we going to give generously because of their needs? How are we going to do that? The question I asked myself when I thought through all those questions, and I'll give you a little bit of time here to think about it. The question was, what is stopping me? What is stopping me? The only answers I had were selfishness, not trusting the promises of God, or I myself was discouraged, or I needed help. In two cases, I was the one in need of encouragement or needed help myself. But the other two were the ones that concerned me. And it should concern you. What is stopping you from encouraging, or encouraging, admonishing, and helping others? Not to stop recalculation, but Paul continues with how we should treat worship at this point. And if we're going to worship well, it's going to start by how we treat our leaders and how we treat each other. So we need to change our plans about how we worship Jesus. And if you're, if you're at home here and you're sitting on your couch, one of the things I would encourage you on a Sunday morning is when we have the worship set, stand up and sing. Raise your hands. Praise God. You know what? You're only doing it in front of your family. It's not embarrassing, right? But we need to change how we worship Jesus. It says here, starting in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. I love that verse. You want to memorize that? It's one verse right there. Two words. Rejoice always. You memorized it yet? Okay. Let's keep going. Pray without ceasing. That's another easy one. It's three words. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this right here. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Something I missed when I first read this is that all the verbs, all the actions that we are asked to do in this passage are plural. It's referring to all of us. It's not just some of us that do this. It's all of us and we do it together. It's not just for private worship in your home. It's for the church when we gather together to do these things. Right now, we are gathered together in homes. This is a time to think like this and do this. Our worship is a reflection of what we value. What do we value? When we're, we had things taken for, from us and we were hurting and we were grieving those, how much did it hurt? Sports? 
I mean, I can only watch marble racing so much on ESPN. So, I mean, when that's taken from you, it's like, what am I going to watch marble racing? Or maybe it's NBA players playing NBA 2K live or something. I, I don't get it. When something's taken from you, it's a reflection of what we value. So what does this passage say we are to value? How are we supposed to recalculate and change our plans? I think it's clear here that true community worships with joy, with prayer, and thanksgiving. When should we have joy? What does it say? Rejoice always. I just memorized a verse. When does it say that we're supposed to have a posture of prayer? Pray without ceasing, always. When are we supposed to be thankful to Jesus? Always. In case you didn't catch the theme, always. There's no questioning this, but there is a struggle. And that struggle is to maintain this in our lives and in the life of the church. Let me give you a present example. We're to be thankful in all circumstances, even if we have restrictions on us, even if we lost our job, even if we lost someone to sickness, but nowhere does it say we don't grieve the loss. So we grieve losses, and that's healthy, and that's, that's normal. It says, though, that we are to be thankful to God in all circumstances. Our circumstances shouldn't define how thankful we are. We need to be pursuing the Holy Spirit to give us thankfulness, joy, and prayer, despite our circumstances, not because of them. Let me repeat that. We need to be pursuing the Holy Spirit giving us thankfulness, joy, and prayer despite our circumstances and not because of them. Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. It's not because of our circumstances that we're supposed to be thankful to God. It's because God is who he says he is and it's who he promises he is. Now, verse 20 and 21 here, right after that, bring up a topic that's somewhat controversial in the modern church. Prophecy. What is that talking about here? There's a difference between different types of prophecy, like standard authority that's unchanging, the word of God, and something that needs to be tested based on this passage that it describes here. An author simplified this for me, and, and I think it's important for us to note this as a church, but even as we read the word of God, Traditions that do not submit to God's word as the final authority, the final authority are not following Paul's commands. Godly advice and counsel must be tested through God's word. If someone gives you advice and it doesn't fall in line with God's word, then we can't hold on to it. If the counsel we receive is in line with scripture, it says here, hold fast to it. It means to grip and hold fast and not let go. But if it's not in line, we have to reject it. We have to push it away. The danger is to pick one verse out of context and then say what you're saying is in line with Scripture. People do it all the time. There's verses taken out of context all the time. Don't be deceived. The whole of Scripture is what it's talking about here. It's not just one verse. It's the whole of Scripture, the whole Bible. So when you decide to go to a church, or in this case, view something online, you need to make sure that the preaching is from the Word of God. And so... We're left with a question because verse 22 asks us something very clearly. Do we, how do we abstain from evil as verse 22 tells us to? It says, test 
all things against the word of God. That's the recalculation. That's what changes. The, the difference between someone that is, is new in their faith and has been in their faith for a long time is how much they go to the word of God to test everything. God gives us a promise here that we should that should change our outlook and help us recalculate community. We need to recalculate how we live every day. True community rests in the faithfulness of God. True community rests in the faithfulness of God. When you think of rest, what do you think of? Putting your head on a pillow, falling asleep. You know, years ago, me and my wife decided early on in our marriage that we were going to get a nice mattress. And we've had a mattress for the whole time we've been married that we bought years ago. But we decided, hey, we're going to get a good mattress. And you know why it was a good mattress? Because I realized I'm going to spend one third of my life on that mattress. Just hopingly, you know, maybe I'll get eight hours a night of sleep. I don't right now, but maybe. And so when you're resting in something, in this case, when we're resting in the faithfulness of God, it's not a, a partial thing like my mattress where I'm there one third of my life. It's in every day, every conscious moment of my life, I'm resting in the faithfulness of God. Our faith our hope, our love is only possible because God's faithfulness. It's because he is faithful to fulfill his promises. This word sanctification, sanctify here, is the process that God is working in those that put their faith and trust in Jesus. He's working to make us more like Jesus, to make us be more sacrificial, be more loving. And so the words used here, spirit, soul, and body, even further emphasize the complete and whole transformational change that Jesus has promised those who follow him. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And he's willing to change all of you because God is faithful to complete this. So whatever God calls us to do, whether it's obedience whether it's loving one another, whether it's our business practices, whether it's our sexual purity, whatever it is, all these commands are included in what it means to live in true community. Community that's focused on Jesus. Community that's focused not, not just on Jesus, but the good news of Jesus Christ. So going back to what I, I said near the beginning, so are we hashtag in this together? Are we? Because we are in community together. It's so important that we don't forget that. So what? What are we supposed to do here? Maybe you're saying, Pastor John, I get you said all this stuff about true community. What does this mean? It means true community respects and esteems leaders. Why? Because leaders labor among you, are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The community that is the church needs to respect and esteem leaders that labor among us, over us in the Lord, and admonish us. I'm going to speak for myself, but admonishing sometimes is hard because you have to be willing to lose the relationship for the sake of doing what's best for the other person. But I don't want to, to I need to clarify here, you shouldn't lose the relationship because you're harsh. You should lose the relationship because you did the most loving thing you possibly could do in helping someone come back to Jesus or correcting someone when they're on a straight path. 
We need to be a community that has a gravitational pull to Jesus. If we all respect and esteem our leaders and our leaders labor and admonish, that's what's going to happen. People are going to be attracted to that. And it's not, it's not something that you can quantify on a piece of paper. It's something that Jesus does and the Holy Spirit moves through the church to do. True community seeks to do good for everyone, worshiping with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Doing good for others can be admonishing them. Paul shows us this, encouraging them or helping them. Sometimes it's difficult, but it's definitely sacrificial. We need to worship with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving, no matter the circumstances. And probably right now, despite the circumstances. You know, I listened to a ton of people the last few weeks, and I've started to realize that there's two groups of people out there right now. There's one group that is hating staying at home. There's a whole nother group that is like, man, this is the best thing in the world. I'm so excited. I'm, they're like giddy. They're like, man, I'm going to get house projects done. I'm going to get so much done. Da, da, da. Well, I can tell you for a fact, I'm in the first group, but I know that probably 50% of us are in the other group. Like, I don't want to go back to work. I don't I'd rather work from home for the rest of my life. You know, people want to do that. But let me tell you, no matter who you are, God is good. That's why we need joy, thanksgiving, and prayer. God is good. When is God good? God is good all the time. You know, you ever hear that phrase? When I, when I was a kid, I, I went to a church and they would say things like this to me, like, God is good all the time, you know, and people would just say it back and forth, kind of like on Easter when we say, he is risen, he's risen indeed. So God is good. When is he good? I'm let you say it. He's good all the time. True community rests in the faithfulness of God. Rest takes a big sigh. Whatever weight you feel right now, take a big sigh. Go, because God is there. He's faithful to complete his promises. God is faithful first. And in response, we recalculate our lives. We change our plans to plan on living in true community. Are you going to live in true community? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have all kinds of different circumstances happening in the world around us. We have relatives, potentially, that live all over the world. We might be on either side of this stay-at-home order where we are loving it or hating it. But Lord, let us come together in true community, being a, a, a church of thankfulness, being a church that has joy, being a church that is, is united in prayer for others. God, help us to esteem and respect our leaders that labor among us, are over us in the Lord, and admonish us. God, we all come before you and we know that this is all a result of your faithfulness. You're steadily continuing to make us more like Jesus. Even in the midst of a pandemic, there's so many more ways to be like Jesus. Help us to be in your word. And as someone comes to us and shares something with us that we're not sure is true, let us go back to your word as the final authority. Lord, help us this week to encourage one another, to help one another, and to admonish one another. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.